This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. Hello, I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And welcome again to Leading from the Front. Today's guest is a unique fusion of senior leadership experience, and he has a PhD in organization and management. I I love that combination of practical business experience and educational excellence that we're going to talk about today. And he now works with senior leaders to develop cultures people love and are proud to be a part of. His 35 years of experience in education is applied to coach executives, train leaders, conduct organizational cultural assessments that help the organizations he works with to prosper. He's also the host of Real Business in Real Time, a podcast on the C-Suite Network, and he is my fellow C-Suite Network advisor. Please welcome Dr. Mark Hindeleiter. How you doing, Mark? I am great, Gary. I'm looking forward to a wonderful conversation. Well, let's start that conversation by filling people in a little bit on your experience and background and what's brought you to this point today. Yeah, so I'm a recovering HR executive, (laughs) I like to say. And so I'm a a career HR executive, 30 plus years in the the corporate world. And, you know, most recently as a senior VP of HR for a billion dollar global company. And so... I just feel like I've experienced a whole lot of things. And a kind of interesting thing about my career journey is I really worked for three companies and two kind of were almost the same movie where the first many, many years of a 20-year career with a company, uh, 20 of those were outstanding. We had a great culture, highly respected leadership. We were a company that was profitable, that grew year over year. People were proud to be there. Change in leadership in the last two years just sucked the life out of me (laughs) and my colleagues, where the culture was just destroyed. And and later on, the company literally went out of business. Talk a little bit about what changed. What what was the shift in the leadership that caused that? Yeah, new, new leadership from the outside that came in and I guess made their own assessments about what was good about the company and what needed to be changed. That's, you know, that's the CEO's prerogative. But the thing that was kind of distressing to me was the new leadership just didn't respect the culture at all. And so disrespecting the culture was really disrespecting the people. And so, you know, long-term people kind of became 
disenchanted, disengaged. And and I was one of those after a couple of years of, of seeing this new leadership just utterly disrespect this organization. What did that disrespect look like when you when you think, you know, we don't need to use names or specifics, but there's some specific consistent things that we see in how leaders can destroy culture or build culture. And we'll talk about that too. Yeah, brought in some of their own cronies from their past life. And those new cronies became who that leader, those leaders listened to. The people inside the business who'd been there a long time didn't feel listened to because they, they weren't listened to and they were kind of marginalized. It was the craziest thing. Now, does, uh, does a new leader from the outside come in, see some things that need to be changed? I, I get that. And, 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 and some things did need to be changed and updated and that kind of thing. Rather than let's kind of tweak the culture and the strategy and the business model and maybe do some people changing where it was appropriate, it was just throw almost like throw it all out. And that just set that business back on its heels and it never recovered from that. And so it was really new people come in, were smarter than, than yokels and acted that way. And guess what? They weren't. So that's what that looked like was bring in new people, put, you know, put all the trust in them, disrespect and disregard people who'd been there a long time and knew the business and the industry was not a good prescription. I'll be darned if I didn't, if I didn't experience that twice. Next career, same thing. 10 years with a company, seven O's, highly respected CEO, highly respected senior leadership, a business that was prospering. Completely different industry. Same thing. A new CEO comes in, a couple of acquisitions that culturally were kind of a train wreck. The, the cultures didn't mesh. So a little bit different story the second time. And the cultures didn't mesh. And then it was kind of downhill from there. And so the, the acquisitions were not strategically advantageous and culturally disadvantageous. So none of the benefits of the acquisitions and all of the downside. Let's talk about culture for a second so we understand people, our audience really understands a little bit of what we're talking about. Because this is a word that people throw around a lot and, and they don't really spend the time. And I always say that words don't mean anything until we define the word. So let's take a minute to really kind of define what culture is and what culture isn't. You know, what culture is to me, uh, to really boil it down, it's how we do things around here. You know, it's how we behave, it's how we work together, it's how we get things done. It's a shared set of beliefs, it's a shared set of practices, it's a common understanding of how it works around. The words we throw around quite often is having a clear company mission statement, you know, and people know in that mission, what, what do we do? What are we trying to accomplish and why? is the what and the why. And then the how are the, are the values, the, the, the stated values of the organization that says, these are the things that are most important to us, three, five, seven values, because those guide our behaviors. Like you said, this is how we do things around here. One of the companies I work with, with Baker Roofing Company, they've got all these things too. They get the mission, they get the values. But I often say in that organization, there's really two things. You have to work hard and get along. If you don't work hard and get along in that company, the senior leadership is just not going to keep you around because you create too much drama. They don't want drama, right? But they also want people to work hard. It's a construction company. It's, this is no, no kidding around. So when it comes down to that kind of simplicity of understanding what defines the culture, it makes it really easy for people to self-select, doesn't it? 
It does. And if cultures are not simply understood, they're not understood. Right. So I think I think what you said uh, is also my experience. A culture really is our understanding of mission and purpose and values. Probably what I would add to that is just practices. Those all add up to how we do things around here. And if work hard and get along with people, that's a those are values. And if we embrace those our chances of having a great culture are very good. My chances of succeeding in that organization are better because I understand what's expected of me. Yeah, yeah. They go on to talk about, you know, safety and excellence and employees and, you know, focus on these things. But it, it really just comes down to get along, work hard. I'll tell you kind of a, a story from many years ago. Uh, Gary, I was doing a leadership workshop for a software company. I guess this is a dozen years or so, maybe, maybe a little bit longer. And we're, it was a two-day workshop. We we're having a great couple days. My recollection is the morning of day two, we were talking about values and uh, what are they and why do they matter and, and how do they kind of shape the organization and influence performance, all that stuff. Really good conversation. And then at lunchtime, one of the gentlemen in the workshop said, hey, hey can I come back early from lunch? Because I want to show you something, just kind of a private conversation. I said, Yeah. So before lunch was over, he came back and he brought me this, I don't know, about an eight inch pyramid, a really nice looking piece of hardware. And on that pyramid was the company's core values. And he showed it to me, said, hey, what do you think of that? I said, that's really cool. Who, who, who gets one? He said, everybody. And I said, that is awesome. He said, you want to know what I think? I said, yeah. He said, it's BS. And so I was kind of taken aback. I said, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? He said, these are great core values. But senior leadership doesn't practice these. So this pyramid is literally a joke around the organization. So I, I guess the point there is, is it helpful to have core values and purpose and mission and all those? Yes. But that's like the first step. Uh, what really has to happen is we have to embrace those. We have to practice those. How do leaders do that? Are you going to go into a story on that? Because, uh, yeah, let's. Yeah, 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 yeah. So again, I uh, completely unrelated. I had a college professor, PhD, tell me once, he said, Mark, if you want to know a company's core values, forget their website, forget the posters, just watch how their leaders behave. That will be their core values. And, that, and that's what this young guy was trying to tell me is these are the core values that are on the pyramid. But how the leader, how senior leadership behaves is different. When you get somebody that's saying that, and that's just one person's opinion, but maybe it's across the board, right? You've got a pyramid of values and senior lead. What happens in an organization when they state a set of values and they're acting a different way? What happens? Cynicism, mm. distrust. I'll do it my way if you know leadership isn't kind of guiding me to do it properly. So I'll go into my own default mode about how I think things should be done. And so we just have disconnects all over the place. What is underlying the reason, you know, because you'll get get people that will criticize these human beings for going, as I call it, doing it my way. Why are they doing it their way? What's the the psychology behind that? What's the the motivation behind people? Because, and you said a, a huge word, distrust. When they distrust the consistency and the values, and they go into it doing it their way. Why do they do that? You know, my experience, Gary, in over 30 years is most people want to do a good job, right? 
They want to be successful. Generally, people don't come on board with the company with kind of the attitude, well, let's see how fast I can screw this thing up. You know, they, they don't do that. Most people, in my experience, want to do a good job. And most people look to their leadership to kind of provide direction and purpose and meaning so that my job means something, that I'm really contributing. And so when people get that kind of leadership, Again, I, my, my experience is they embrace it and, and they get on board with how, so if they understand that work hard and get along with people is expected, then they're very likely to, to meet those expectations. But in the absence of that, we all kind of have our own default mode because I have my own values and you have your values. So in the absence of the company saying these are their values, I'm going to follow my own not maliciously, just because that's what I believe is a good way to go to work every day. Well, it's called survival. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to say it. It's I'll survive by doing what I think is the right thing to do. If the company's not going to kind of point the way. Humans hate a vacuum. People doing what they think is right. That's all over the place. I'm going left and you're going right. And we both think we're doing the right thing. That's right. So you create a lot of dysfunction uh, out of a lack of, of leadership, right? Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you what else you create. I've often done this as kind of an analogy of this, as you can imagine, everybody on a team connected by a bungee cord with everybody else on the team. And if you have a mission and a vision and values and you're moving towards that, you're all moving together. There might be a little bit of tension here and there once in a while, but uh, you're all moving together. And if somebody goes off path a little bit, they kind of the bungee cord kind of pulls them back in. Now imagine the same, Get get the picture in your mind. And now everybody's running in a different direction. What happens? These bungee cords get stretched out. It's hard to move. And you create a tremendous amount of stress and tension on each individual in the organization. And resistance. There you go. So how do we we turn it around? Have you ever been part of an organization where you kind of went in and people lost their path because maybe they were a division of a large organization? You were a senior VP. I'm sure you saw departments or divisions that weren't always exactly aligned the way they needed to be. People were kind of struggling. Did you ever see a situation like that where you kind of helped coach a leader or a department head or a division head to kind of get them back on path and get them back into the fold because they ended up going off the reservation, so to speak? Uh, every day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So how did you do that? What, what, by doing that every day, what did you have to do? I'll talk about kind of when I went into that head of HR role in my last uh, kind of corporate gig, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, I took over a function that was pretty dysfunctional. And so that was my first priority was to create a mission and vision for that HR function and how our mission and vision connected to the company's mission and vision and values. So that was my first step was to kind of clean my own house up and make sure that we were aligned to what the company's core values were, which were very clearly stated and by and large, pretty healthy culture. But HR was not really kind of aligned and on board. So that was the first thing that I did was really work hard to communicate. Here's our part of what we're doing here. Uh, and I had to kind of uh, make a couple changes, you know, to uh, to to get aligned with the company. So uh, so I spent months kind of doing that, probably years doing that. 
And then I, and then the next thing I saw was a bunch of silos within each of these silos of IT and operations and marketing and sales and accounting and, and those kind of things were all run by good people, but there was no kind of working together in, in, in harmony, function to function. So I set out to do that. And, and really how I did that, Gary, was by building relationships, kind of one relationship at a time with the head of finance, with the head of operations, with the head of IT. It became a more cooperative, collaborative effort because I built relationships and trust, you know, uh, just among kind of, uh, you know, with my peers. And so that's kind of how I did it. It wasn't a big systematic kind of a thing. It was it was one relationship at a time because the foundation of the company's values were there. So what were you looking for in those in those human beings, those leaders in building that relationship that would allow you to reconnect them to the to the purpose of the company? What were you looking for? First, I was just looking to build a relationship just to get to know them. And, and kind of what their challenges were, but with my function with HR, but also inside the business. So it was, it was literally just build a human being relationship first. But, you know, I, I want to stop you there because I, I think that there's, some, there's a real opportunity here, Mark, to focus a little bit on. We talk about building relationships. Again, it's a cliche phrase that is so easily kind of brushed over. But what you said is to get to know them. Yeah. You know, the first step back in my training with Stephen Covey on the seven habits, highly effective people seek first to understand before being understood. So get to know them, get to know what they're struggling with, what their challenges are. Why are they resisting these things? Right. And, and it sounds to me like you you spent the time to understand where they were coming from. Even before that, I got to know they're married. They've got kids. The things they're proud of is, is just as a person. That's always first for me is just know that person. Because once we do that, Gary, I just find that once we have rapport, just as human beings, that's the first step to trust, right? And now that we've got some rapport and trust as human beings, now we can really talk about business stuff very effectively, you know, uh, where there's no suspicion, they realize, you know, hey, he, he took time to get to know me as a person. I appreciate that. Seems like a good dude. So I think I can work with this guy, you know. And so once I did that, then I would go to, you know, what are you struggling with? You know, um, I'm, you know, I'm relatively new here. You know, help me understand the struggles kind of in your function and may, maybe how that connects with kind of what's going on in the company. And so once I kind of understood that, then I realized, well, there's some common struggles here. Right. And how can we tackle those? Some of those would be just communications, you know, between our functions. Sometimes our functions overlapped. My HR function and the safety function, for example, uh, absolutely overlapped, you know, because we're talking about culture, right? And communications and human beings. So now we started tackling kind of things jointly, collaboratively. And I just found that was just very effective. And what I wasn't doing was waiting on the CEO to tell me to, hey, Mark, go do that. And no, I didn't wait on somebody to tell me to do that. I, 
I was a leader and it was my job to build relationships and build trust and build rapport and then figure out how we can do things that were best for the company. And so that was, that was just a journey, uh, just a long-term journey. Well, I would hope as a senior vice president, you would take the initiative and be proactive. However, the, uh, the tagline, uh, the subtitle of leading from the front is leadership is a responsibility, not a position. So regardless of position. We all can do exactly what you just said in helping to understand where other people are coming from by going to them, asking questions, listening, understand where they are personally, context of their family, their life situation, understand all of that. And I just wrote a note down here saying, humanizing the process of business. That's what I heard you doing is humanizing this process we call business. I think that's a great way to say it. I think that was part of why we had such a good culture is because we did do that. But the other side of that coin is dehumanizing the process of business. And that's what I saw with these changes of leadership, Gary. So you you put it in good context. When it was working, we humanized the process. I really like that. I'm going to steal it. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning we we were colleagues. We were trusted colleagues and we could sit one-on-one and figure stuff out. Or we were trusted colleagues and we could sit in a room of senior people and solve problems without, without kind of worrying about hidden agendas or somebody, you know, looking, looking to get you. I'm not saying we didn't have any of that. I'm just saying by and large, because we had a, a, an organization where we just worked collaboratively as two human beings, regardless of our level, and did what we thought was best for the company. And, and when companies start getting bigger, my experience, and it becomes more structured, more process-oriented, more system-driven, you know, I see these posts on LinkedIn that HR is now data-driven. And they say that proudly, and it just horrifies me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that we're, that somebody thinks that an HR function should be data-driven. M- maybe I'm old school. Do I want good data? Yeah, I want good data. I want good metrics. I want a good dashboard. But all that information is just so that I can have more meaningful conversations, more meaningful dialogue, make more strategic decisions in collaboration with other smart people. So that that feels to me like when you get to that point, the pendulum has swung way too far and and dehumanizing business. Well, you know, you make a good point and I'm gonna, I wanna just piggyback on that a little bit because your uh, analogy of the pendulum is uh, an interesting one because it's it's the way we see it as if there's an either or. And I say that uh, get rid of the pendulum and uh, let's think differently. And I'll, I'm going to give you my one of my favorite mind shifts that happened to us in our leadership program. When people look at this as an either or, is the glass half full or half empty? You know, I've used this before. It's half full or half empty. People look at it as if they say it's half empty, they're negative. They say if it's full, it's, pull, uh, it's positive, it's half full. Fact is, is that both of them are facts, half full, half empty. Then somebody in the leadership program goes, oh, no, 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 that's not the problem. So, oh, okay, what's the problem? The glass is too big. We have to change the way we think. It's not either or. We can still have humanized, data-driven HR that helps us make better decisions for the people. It's just there. That information is just there to make us help us make better decisions for people, right? I'm with you. It's not either or. So how do you, we've talked about how you destroy a culture 
And we've talked a little bit about, you know, how you went into an organization and really built a culture, you know, built by really getting clear on the values, the mission, and then going around and building relationships in a way that said, oh, you've got this problem, you got, and proactively helping people solve their own problems. That's what I heard you say, right? If you were talking to me as a leader and I'm like, and I'm saying, I'm going to go into this organization, it's a good organization. What would you advise me if you're my coach going into an organization? What do you think the top three or four things that you would say going into an organization you need to do to be part of that culture? What would you do? I would never make recommendations without really getting a lot of uh, a good download, right? About, you know, what, what that leader's thinking and what's going on. However, I will just some general principles that make up for a healthy culture. It's got to start at the top with senior leadership that they embrace that strategy matters and that culture matters. It's, it's your either or conversation. Is strategy, is it strategy important or is it culture? Well, it's strategy and culture, right? So, you know, every senior leader I've ever talked to got it that strategy was really critical, right? Not every senior leader I've talked to understands how important culture is. So strategy and culture, here's what I think about culture is it has to be part of your strategy. Culture should be part of a company's business strategy. The old saying from Peter Drucker from probably 50 years ago, or, or, or give or take, that culture eats strategy for lunch or, or breakfast. I, I look at it a little differently, that culture should be part of your strategy, right? It's part of your success formula. So leadership, uh, so culture has to start at the top. It has to be part of your strategy. Your purpose, you can call it mission, has to be clearly articulated so that people understand why we do what we do. Right. So we have to get those building blocks and then we have to and then we have to get a a leadership team aligned around our culture and our purpose so that they become the models so that when everybody in the organization is watching you, Gary, and they're watching me behave in alignment with our purpose and our values and our strategy, it means something. Right. It, It means something. And then we start kind of holding our direct reports accountable for both performance and working inside the culture. Back to your example of work hard and get along with people. So if, if that's a if that's a fra- if that's part of how we do things, I got to model that, and then I got to hold my managers accountable for that. So it's got to start at the top, and it's got to cascade down. And then I think we have to measure it, Gary. You know, so I am, I do believe in data, right? We really have to measure our culture because what you're, we're going to find in almost every organization is we're going to have some subcultures that are either departments or locations, right? And so we've got to understand what's happening inside our culture in this department and in this department and this branch and in this branch, because you may be running a branch office that, and I'm running a branch office, our culture surveys might say different things. It has to start at the top, but eventually we've got to measure how we doing. And then we've got to use that data to make improvements. And so what I've found is when we do some culture surveys, which are really critical, then people are going to watch, okay, what are they going to do with that data? What are they going to do with my input? There's going to be two things on their mind. One is my input anonymous. Or is somebody going to come back on me for giving honest input? You better not do that because you'll destroy trust in a nanosecond. 
And then the second thing is they're watching is, okay, a bunch of us gave feedback. What's Gary and Mark going to do with it, right? <laughs> and so my advice to a leader is be really transparent about what that data says. You know, here's what we heard. Here's the good things that we really heard. Thank you for that feedback. We're going to keep doing that, right? And here's the thing, the two things that we've identified that we got to get better at based on your input. Here's what they are, and here's our game plan. That's powerful. When we lit, because what that is is a form of listening, right? And that's what great leaders do is they have listening strategies. Start at the top, cascade it down, get some feedback, and then and then just keep making adjustments. Just like that bungee cord is going to help you make adjustments. So is that data is going to help you make adjustments. And then when people see that, wow, they really listen to us and, and they're making a couple of adjustments that, by golly, I got a lot of respect for that. They owned it and, and they're going to make some changes. And you know what? That's a big trust building initiative when people see that we're listening and that we're making improvements based on that. We got some good momentum going, Gary. We've got some healthy culture dynamics happening when we kind of follow those processes. So it's always a process of leading, listening, and making adjustments. That's a great, I think that's a great summary that uh, we need to kind of wrap up here a little bit. And I wanted to make an observation on what you're talking about because you're saying culture needs to be part of your strategy. The biggest challenge that most companies have is not having a strategy, it's executing the strategy. The biggest problem that most companies have in culture is leading the culture. And I separate the management leadership and the job of a leader, any leader, any leadership position, any non-position is to reinforce the purpose, the mission, the values every day in the behaviors by recognizing those people that are following those behaviors, that are following those values, that are contributing to the mission, the purpose. That's recognition and reinforcement is leadership. It's connecting the behavior, the outcome, the result to the mission and values. And very few leaders seem to recognize the power of making that connection. We don't do that nearly enough. I could not agree more that if we celebrated more often when people are really be, uh, uh, perform and are kind of these culture champions, whether they're in leadership positions or not, the more we celebrate that, the more people get it. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Right? I think we default to dinging people for maybe not doing what they're supposed to do in the context of the culture. It is much more powerful to celebrate and recognize the successes. Yeah. And I think, I think we need to define celebration. I think that's part of the problem too, is people think of a celebration like, oh, the whole company comes together, they prayed about, it's like, no, a celebration is walking up and say, hey, Mark, I just saw you help that, that other guy over there safely lift that box. And we've been working on safety. We've had a bunch of back injuries. I can't tell how much I appreciate the fact that you, you, you stepped up and you helped out. That might've saved a back injury. Thanks for doing that. That is a celebration. That is a great celebration, but I've seen done very effectively is take that personal recognition. Safety is a great example and putting that in a newsletter or an email to the team that's saying, I just want to recognize Gary for helping Mark out from a safety perspective and kind of tell the story a little bit that what great teamwork 
you know, so celebrating can be that one-on-one recognition, but sometimes it's also helpful to kind of tell the story to the rest of the, to the rest of the team that this is what it looks like, you know, kind of a thing. Well, I, I think that's a great place to stop here, Mark. I really appreciate your time and all your uh, input. And I, I have to tell you what I'm taking away from this around leadership and management is just to help people recognize the importance of how we do things around here. Let's reinforce how we do things around here as long as it's consistent with the mission, the values of the organization and recognize that some people struggle with aligning their personal behaviors with the mission of the organization. And when they do, it might be time to go find an organization that you align with. And that's absolutely right. And sometimes we have to help people do that, but we should always do that with respect and dignity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to stop. That's a great place to stop with respect and dignity. Well, thank you, Dr. Mark Hindleider. I really appreciate you stopping by today virtually. It's been a pleasure having you. Well, thank you, Dr. Gary McGrath. Uh, We could do this for a couple hours, I'm pretty sure. We'll probably do it again, I'm sure. So thank you so much, Mark. Okay, take care. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And this has been Leading from the Front. Thank you very much. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.